Hey, this is Kyle Papineau. I'm the pastor of Legacy Church in Orange County, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you and it helps you experience what God is doing in your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Ushers, go ahead. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here with us on our Sunday morning worship experience. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Papineau. I'm the pastor of Legacy Church, and I'm excited that you are here Um, If you are new with us, would you do me a favor? Would you fill out one of the connection cards on the seat next to you? Uh, We just want to get the chance to know you a little bit better. I'll probably send you a text this week. Pastor Barbara might chat with you this week. We just want to get to know you. I don't want you just to be a face uh, in in the room. We want to make sure that we're honoring every person here. Um, Every once in a while, I will hear something uh, like a scripture, and I will realize that I, I haven't heard a lot about that that scripture, and so this was one of those those pieces. Um, this piece of scripture that I just read, those ten verses, I heard at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought, man, I haven't studied that, um, and, and I need to because it, there were just some things that were going on in my personal life that I kind of recognized in the text. Does that ever happen to you, where you're, you're reading something and you're like, oh, that applies to me, <laughs> almost like it was written. To you? Did you know that the Bible was written to you? Did you know that his word came throughout centuries to reach you in your heart? That the things that he spoke thousands of years ago pertain to today? Did you guys know this? Okay. Um, I, need, I need some people to wake up. I know that uh, we've had a nice, peaceful time in the presence of God, but I don't think that uh, church should be boring. Okay? I think it should be alive because wherever the spirit is, there is life. And where there is life, there is energy. And that is not to say that it has to be hype. I just believe that we have a holy hope in the scripture. Okay? So you can preach back to me. You can, you can talk back to me. I want to encourage you. Man, help me preach this. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was in Nashville and I heard a part of this. Um, <coughs> pardon me. I heard a part of this scripture, and I want to keep reading for just a second. I know that it's a little gruesome when we talk about uh, dogs eating somebody, so just hang in there. That's not the part that really resonated with me. I'm not going to lie, okay? (laughs) But there are other portions of this text that really resonate, and so I'm going to keep reading for just a second. Verse 11 says, when Jehu came out to his master's servants, that was the commanders, they asked, is everything all right? Why did this crazy person come to you? Then he said to them, oh, you know the sort, and they're ranting. What? No, 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 dog, you were just anointed king of Israel. <laughs> He's basically saying, oh, you know the sort. You know how crazy he is. You know how they talk. They, they, just, they, they mumble, and they, they rant and ramble. But they replied, that's a lie. Tell us. So Jehu said, uh, he talked to me about this and that and said, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. You know, just the stuff. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. If you read the text, it says literally, he talked to me about this and that and said, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. Has anybody ever been anointed king? Okay, me neither, but I can just imagine that this is not the way that I would announce it. Okay? Um, I remember when I was at, uh, at In-N-Out, and I got a promotion. Dude, I could not wait to get home and tell my family, right? I, I <laughs> when I got promoted to Fry Guy, oh. And just a, just a fun tip for you, never trust a skinny Fry Guy, okay? If he's not testing the product, he's not gonna know if it's good or not. So if you see a twig, you know, carrying the baskets to In-N-Out, be a little cautious. Um, totally kidding. Oh my goodness, guys. It's going to be okay. You can laugh with me. But I just, I feel like if I was anointed king, I would not be the kind that says, oh, well, you know that guy. They're just a little crazy. Well, no, that's a lie. What did he say? Oh, you know, he said this and that and this and that. And uh, the Lord says I'm the king of Israel. So I'd be like, dude, I'm the king. He just anointed me king. And it's funny because they said, what did he say? But remember that this prophet's son poured oil all over his head. So he comes out of this back room drenched in oil. 
Yeah, he's greasy. He needs to go wash his hair. Like, it's been a couple of days, you know what I mean? And so literally, he comes out of the back room dripping in oil, and they said, well, what does he say? Nothing. You know the type. They're crazy. He just poured oil over me. Well, oil represented something in Scripture. And so anytime there was oil, it was a sign of provision. It was a sign of anointing. It was a sign of blessing. So it was not just like, oh, there's this crazy guy. It was, he had been anointed for something. And then the crazy part is the commanders then in verse 13, it says, each man quickly took his garment and put it under Jehu on the bare steps. They blew the ram's horn and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Then Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Hey, if anybody's naming kids, I've got some ideas for you. Um, then Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Joram and all of Israel had been at Ramoth-Gilead on guard against King Hazel of Aram. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds that the Arameans had inflicted on him when he fought against the king. Jehu said, if you commanders wish to make me king, then don't let anyone escape from the city Go, uh, to go tell about it in Jezreel. My message this morning is called a backroom anointing. A backroom anointing. Um, one of the things that I guess you need to realize or know about this text is from the very beginning, there are so many, uh, there are so many understated passages. So, verse 1 says, the prophet Elisha called to one of the sons of the prophet and said, tuck your mantle under your belt. Okay. Elisha. Everybody know Elisha? Okay. Um, Elisha says to not a prophet, but a prophet's son. This would have been a prophet in training. This might have been this young man's very first assignment as a training prophet. Okay. Elisha says, tuck your coat into your belt. That means book it. In case you didn't know, there were, there were like tunics that they would wear, and they were really long, and then sometimes if they had to do a lot of work or if they had to run really fast, what they would do is they would actually bunch up the skirt and kind of tie it to make like makeshift shorts, okay? That's what he's saying. He's saying, tuck your, tuck your dress, basically. It's time to run. So now we don't have just like Elisha coming to anoint the king. We have him asking his prophet to go. Wait, no, it's not his prophet either. We see that it's the prophet's son. So now we have a a third generation involved in this story. He says, then tuck your coat and go. Take this flask of oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for this guy and here's what's going to happen. You're going to take him into a back room. Okay? You're going to take him where not everybody else knows. You're going to take him, because don't forget, like, this young dude, like, I'm, I'm assuming somewhere between 14 and 18 years old, this, this young prophet would have been, he has the responsibility of anointing the next king of Israel. And he has to go into a commander's staff meeting, okay? Imagine this, they're all dressed up in their military garb. He's got to go into the commander's room and say, Commander, I've got a word from from God for you. Well, the word is, the person that you are serving right now, King Ahab, is no longer the king. You are. Anybody want to go deliver that news to someone who's got a weapon with them? Hard pass for me. Hard pass. So he goes into the room with the commanders and says, I've got a word for you. And then Jehu comes with him into a back room. And all of a sudden, can you just imagine this, this scene with me where Jehu gets up from the table and walks away. So he can't be seen, but all the commanders are talking amongst themselves. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's going on back there. Did you see the oil? I wonder what he's going to do with that oil. Why were his, why was his dress looking like shorts? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Jehu comes back kind of like, hey, not a big deal. You know, he's just crazy. He said this and that. Don't forget, he's drenched in oil. But there was a moment where the prophet said to 
uh, to Jehu, because don't forget, it starts as the prophet's son, but somewhere in the completion of his assignment, he gets a new title. He becomes the prophet, okay? So the prophet says to Jehu, this is what the Lord, God of Israel, says, you will be the king over Israel. But then he gives him very specific instructions. He says, you have to eliminate the house of Ahab, okay? Now, I'm I'm not going to get political this morning, I promise you. But I will say this, America is known for one of the greatest transfer of powers in the world. Because every four to eight years, we peacefully give power from one person to another. Okay? This is not America that we are talking about. In fact, this is God himself speaking to a prophet saying, I need you to go tell this dude, you're going to be king, and it is your job to annihilate, is one of the words that is used in this verse. It means to kill, to slaughter, to take off the face of this earth. Not just Ahab, not just his wife Jezebel, not just his 70, 70 kids. Uh, Yeah, all right, cool. Just making sure I wasn't the only one who thought that was wild. 70 kids. And then not just his family, but also any servants, any slaves, any friends, anyone connected to the regime of Ahab had to die. There was no more options for repentance. If you, if you go back, like you can actually read that uh, there was this battle on Mount Carmel where they had the opportunity to repent, and they didn't. So we're in some sticky, tra- sticky waters there. Uh, So now God is saying they have to be annihilated. They have to be wiped out. They can't stay here anymore. And Ahab's kingdom, Jezebel's kingdom, does anybody know the name Jezebel? We've all heard that. Okay, not a nice lady. Ahab, not a nice dude. Uh, They had some real issues. They loved to worship Baal, who was a a god of uh, sex. And so they would literally have, in the temple, they would have public sex shows as a part of their worship to their God. Like that is how disgusting these people were. They felt like rape was an act of worship. I'm really glad we think this is an act of worship. Okay? This is surrender. That is not what Ahab brought in. And so Ahab's kingdom was just known for sin. And so what God was saying was more than just Ahab has to go. This is sin has to go. This is sin can no longer live here. I have an agenda for my people. Now, also, don't forget this, that somewhere in the last uh, 50 to 100 years, the kingdom has been divided So Israel split into two groups. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so you have these two somewhat united states. You have like North Carolina and South Carolina, okay? (laughs) have the same kind of name, but they're definitely not the same. You know what I mean? Like all you have to do is try their barbecue and they are not the same places. And and so this is what we're, we're up against in this scripture. The crazy part is this. The anointer, this unnamed prophet in training, came in secret. And in fact, his instructions from Elisha was, go as fast as you can and get out of there as fast as you can. Because I don't want you seen by the other commanders. I don't want you known by the other commanders. So there's just this shroud of secrecy throughout this entire scripture. And I think that's maybe what attracted me to this story. Is there are just so many things that for so long in my life, I hid away. That I really resonated with this, that like there would be things in my life that needed to be killed because they weren't going to push me closer to Christ-likeness. But then, fun fact for you, Jehu was the only king in the biblical record to be anointed king by an appointed servant. Every other one was anointed by a major prophet or a minor prophet or by God himself. This is the first and only one in the biblical record that gets anointed by a servant boy. This is somebody who's training to be a prophet. So my question that I asked was this, why why was the anointing done without a ceremony? Let me ask you, why was the anointing done without a ceremony? 
Thank you for that. Um, not everything God celebrates needs a ceremony. He celebrates faithfulness, but he, he celebrates faithfulness by giving us more responsibility, not necessarily a, a robe. Okay? Uh, he celebrates serving the poor, but he says to do it so that one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. God doesn't always celebrate the things that we celebrate. And we feel like, man, we need a, we need a ceremony to announce these things. I mean, there's, there's so many different ceremonies that we could, we could think of. I think of the Olympics. Could you imagine winning the Olympics and not having a ceremony where you get the gold, where your national anthem is played? That'd be a bummer. That's what this guy went through. He just got the highest promotion that you could ever get, and he doesn't get the ceremony. But God doesn't celebrate things the way that we do. The other reason is because the nation was divided, and it couldn't stand together. They, they actually split. The nation split into two because of such high taxes and inflation. Aren't you glad the Bible isn't relevant today? I mean, could you imagine, like, super high inflation? That would be crazy. Uh, we might have to divide over this. I, I want you to read this with fresh eyes every time you open it, because if you'll read it, you'll realize, oh, we've seen this before. I've seen this somewhere. When I saw that the kingdom split because of taxes, I was like, yo, I get it. I understand. But then think about it this way. This is somebody coming and anointing a king, and he actually uses this wording. When the, when the son of the prophet anointed him, he referred to Israel as the people of the Lord, even though they were divided, a divided nation. So this young prophet says, you are going to be king over Israel, the people of the Lord. Why is that important? Because he recognizes that God's hand is on both the north and the south. He realizes that this is one nation under God. We're not the first ones to come up with the slogan, okay? So he's saying, I, I recognize that you are going to be king over all of this. You need the authority to step into any place you go and understand that you are the king here. So why does that matter to us? Grace, I'm glad you asked. Brittany asked last one. You asked this one. Don't write people off. I don't care if you're divided. Don't write them off. I don't care that they hurt you. Don't write them off. I don't care that they broke up with you. Don't write them off. I don't care that they said some neat, nasty things to you. Don't write them off. Because God can and will and desires to heal those relationships. He desires to heal hearts. He desires to have people in right alignment with him. So don't write people off. And so that's what this prophet was saying when he said the people of Israel, this is not just the king of Judah. This is the, the nation. You're going to have say over all of this. We've got to rectify some things. So don't write people off. I don't care if it's divided families or strained relationships or financial struggles He'll bring beauty from ashes wherever it is needed. It doesn't matter if you've been hurt by people in the church. I love this when people say, oh, I've been hurt by the church. No, you've been hurt by people in the church. And don't get me wrong, I have been hurt by people in the church. <laughs> I know what that's like. Don't write them off. Because you know what? God wants to do something in and through those people that if you write them off, he won't be able to do. You can block the, the blessing that God has for you in those relationships if you cut them off. But I think too many times we want a ceremony for the gifts that God's given us. We want a platform to be on. Whether it's this or another one, we want people to recognize who we are and what we do. And I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing because I think sometimes it can keep us humble. But if we're constantly chasing after the recognition of people, if we're looking for the next 10 likes or the next 100 views, like we, that's, that's just, that's not it. We celebrate things differently. I want you to hear this. Let's look at verse 11 real quick. I, I want to make sure I get this right. Um, 
When Jehu came out to his master's servants, they asked, is everything all right? Why did this crazy person come to you? Then he said, you know the type, and they're rambling. There was, there was a moment, it was a quick moment, but the other commanders in the room recognized something that Jehu didn't. Jehu couldn't see the anointing. He could only feel it. He had the oil still dripping from him. But the other commanders saw the anointing. You do not have to announce the anointing. Your anointing will be heard and felt and seen without you having to wear a t-shirt about it. You will be recognized for your, your relationship with God. You don't have to announce it. The same thing is true, though. You will be recognized for your lack of relationship with God. Because those of us who call ourselves Christ followers and we're, we're passionately following after him, we understand passion about Scripture. We understand the passion behind following Jesus himself. And so we can kind of tell when someone spent time with Jesus. We, we can tell when someone has, has intimate time set alone with, with Christ. You do not need to announce your anointing. It'll come on its own. People will recognize it. People recognized it before Jehu did. He hadn't even been officially king for two minutes yet, and people recognized that he was anointed. The other crazy part is Jehu's opportunity came suddenly, but he accepted it by faith. So there are going to be times in our, in our lives where things are just kind of thrust upon us. Hey, you've got to do this right now. We don't have anybody else. Can you help step into this, this role? It's got to happen right now. But then he accepted it in faith, saying, I realize that I am chosen by God, and if he chose me, that he must have put something in me to sustain me through this calling. What am I saying through all of this? There was this moment where the, where the prophet in training took the king into the back room and anointed him. I want that back room anointed. I want a backroom anointing. What does that mean? I don't want to be anointed king. I do not need the gray hair that comes with the presidency. Okay? But you know what I do need? I do need God's breath on everything that I do. I do need his spirit in me telling me where to go, what to do, what to say. I do need to hear his voice so that I know how to lead this church. And for you, it might be you need to hear his anointing to get through the next class period. For some of us, it might be we need to get God's word in our hearts so that we can make it one more week in our marriage. We've got to make it one more year with our kids. I, I need the, the backroom anointing so I can raise Levi right, so I can love Brittany right, so I can love you guys right. Too many people are wanting the, the, the main stage anointing. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a place for recognition. I think we can honor people, and that's a good thing. We were talking about that in our small group a couple of weeks ago. But the, the backroom anointing, that's what we're after. That's what I'm after. That's what we as a church need to be after together. That we would spend time in private where no one else sees us. Saying, Holy Spirit, I don't know how this works, but I need you to anoint me. I don't know if you want to pour oil on me or if I should just go get the olive oil in the cupboard, but I need your anointing on my life. And then I need your power to move through me. Because the crazy part about the backroom anointing, the, the main stage anointing is really cool because we get to see the lights and the, the recognition. Everybody claps, yay! But the backroom anointing doesn't just come with the anointing. It also comes with instructions. The backroom anointing is where he said, you are king over the people of Israel. And here's what the Lord says to do. You have to wipe out the house of Ahab. If you can get alone in the back room with God, he will not just anoint you. He will not just, just fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's also going to give you directions. You will not be aimless. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit are not aimless, okay? 
People who are filled with the Holy Spirit understand the house of Ahab, that the sin in my life has to go. And I like to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. And he's like, I am trying, but you got to stop sinning. There is a both and. This is why we are co-laborers with Christ. We have to give up. We have to kill sin. So there are some things in your life that when you get along with God in the back room and he anoints you and he fills you with his Holy Spirit, things are going to be called out of you. Things are going to be called to be killed in your life. I'm not talking about people, so relax. Some of you got a little excited about your kids. I saw it. I saw it. Okay? There are things in your life that you need to kill. I don't mean to put up on the shelf. I mean violently drag it out and kill it. You want to know how, how the story ends? Anybody? Cool, cool, cool. thought I was preaching to myself for a second. Good night. Um... This story continues, and, and it says, in verse 16, Jehu got into his chariot, went to Jezreel, uh, since Joram was laid up there, and King Isaiah of Judah had gone down to visit Joram. Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel. He saw Jehu's mob approaching and shouted, I see a mob. This guy's clever. He saw a mob. He announced he saw a mob. That was funny. Joram responded, choose a rider and send him to meet them in the place that I ask, do you, and ask, do you come in peace? So I guess one of the things you have to know about Jehu is he was kind of young and he was kind of like me. I got a lot of speeding tickets when I was a kid, okay? Uh, a lot. And I'm really sorry, Mom. Um, but he can tell, like the watch person from the tower can tell from miles and miles off who's driving because this guy... Jehu was known throughout the kingdom to be a wild rider, okay? So then it says, verse 18, so a horseman went out to meet Jehu and said, this is what the king asks, do you come in peace? Jehu replied, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. So wait a minute, this guy comes up to Jehu and he says, the king asks, well, the, the, the messenger doesn't know that Jehu's now king. The transfer of power has already happened. Now it's a matter of wiping out the old regime. Okay? So he comes in and he says, do you come in peace? And Jehu says, what do you know about peace? Get behind me. Jehu replied, uh, I'm sorry, the watchman reported, the messenger researched them but hasn't started back, which means he got there, he asked, but he hasn't come back to tell us yet. So he sent on a second horseman and went out to them and said, this is what the king asked, do you come in peace? Jehu answered, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. Again, the watchman reported, he reached them but hasn't started back. Also, the driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a madman. See? Probably the, like the Honda Civic of the kingdom. <clears throat> what does the backroom anointing bring? A holy humility. First thing it brings, a holy humility. If you're, if you're taking notes, type it in. A holy humility. Jehu downplayed what the young man of God was saying. He dismissed him as crazy. The commanders in the courtyard thought the same thing, but then realized, even before Jehu, that the word of the Lord had been spoken and that God's anointing in the back room was sufficient for them to follow Jehu into a revolt. There is a humility that Jehu had, and he realized, I have a responsibility on my life. The Holy Spirit will always bring humility, never arrogance. The only way that people will follow a leader is through humility. So Jehu gets up and says, uh, we're going to, going to go do this. Let's, let's go. Fall in behind me. And he has this humility that people recognize, oh, this is real. Because don't forget, these guys served Ahab 10 minutes ago. <laughs> okay? Jehu served Ahab just a couple of minutes ago. The second thing it brings is unparalleled loyalty. These men were high-ranking officers in the army of Ahab at the time of the prophet's arrival. So Jehu continued to downplay what the prophet had said. But when presented with the weight of the conversation from the back room, the commanders threw their robes on the ground for Jehu to walk on. Now, it's not mentioned specifically in Scripture, but I know how militaries work now. And so let's just imagine that these guys had coats that would have had their rank. 
and it probably would have had a patch, their pledge of allegiance. And then knowing Ahab and how uh, extravagant he and Jezebel were, there was probably Ahab's name like somewhere on this. And so they took their robes off as soon as they heard, kind of shedding the old loyalty and laid it down in honor and a show of loyalty to Jehu. So now Jehu, in the same way, by the way, that people laid down their coats for Jesus, laid it down before him because they recognized, they honored the word of God that had been spoken. And so now they're, they're laying down their, their robes and Jehu gets to walk on them on his own. But then, it's funny, could this have been a foretelling of what would come to the house of Ahab? The commanders would have likely had some sort of symbol in their uniforms to show their allegiance. And now that was what Jehu would start his career of kingship on top of. But this might have been a foretelling of how he was going to deal with Ahab's house. That it was not just going to be laid down, but it was going to be under his feet, that he would walk on top of it. The third thing that it brings is an absolute confidence. It brings a holy humility, an unparalleled loyalty, and an absolute confidence. When Jehu was approached by the two messengers, he told them to get behind them and help him. Then what I haven't read you yet is then two kings came out to meet Jehu and said, I've seen that you've already turned my messengers. Messengers, by the way, would have been very close to the king because they had the exact words of the king. So these were people who walked side by side with the king day in and day out to be his messenger, and they had already turned that fast. I saw that you turned not one, but two of my messengers. Jehu says, yeah, and now it's your time. And one of the kings, I won't read the, the whole thing because there's, there's a, a lot of verses here to cover, but basically one of the, the kings turns around in his chariot, starts bolting out of the way, and Jehu pulls an arrow out of his bow and sticks him right between the back shoulders. And it says the, the, bull, or the, the arrow hit his heart. And he sunk down in his chariot. And then he said, the other king has to go too. And then he killed the other king. And then he killed Ahab. And then he killed all 70 of his sons. And then there is this moment where the absolute confidence that he had in what God told him to do came in handy. Because... In verse 33, let's look at that real quick here. Verse 33 says, well, let's start here at 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard about it, so she painted her eyes and fixed her hair. She did her makeup. She wanted to look good for the visitor. Looked down from the window as Jehu entered the city gates. She said, do you come in peace, Zimri, killer of your master? That's kind of like a, a callback to another guy who killed uh, his master. He looked up toward the window and said, who is on my side? This is like one of the most gangster ways of, of like showing that you're the king now. He's standing at the castle gates. He sees the queen in the window, and he says, who's on my side? And it says that two or three servants pop their heads out the window like, yo, we're with you. <laughs> he said, cool, push her out of the window. And they pushed her out of the window. She fell to her death, and the, 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 the violence of the story says that her blood spattered all over the horses and all over the walls. So this was quite the fall, Okay. And then it says that Jehu rode over her body with his horse, and the horse trampled it until it was mush. Then he gives the order, hey, go bury her. I'm going to go in and have lunch on my new chair. And so he walks into the throne room and eats his first meal as king after that just happened. And then he says, please, somebody go bury her. And they came back and they said, no, remember the words of the Lord, uh, she will be eaten by dogs. And in the time it took Jehu to sit down on his throne and eat his lunch, she had been eaten by wild dogs. The only thing that was left was her hands and her feet and her skull. So when I tell you that sin has to be killed, it has to be killed. 
push it out of the window, trample on it with the horse, let the dogs eat it, and then remind people this is what happens when sin's in the camp. Because I've had a backroom anointing. I know what God told me to do. And when you're on an assignment from God, there is no if, ands, or buts. It's very interesting. The only time that people are 100% set on what they're going to do is when they think they have heard the Lord. That's just been my experience here as pastor. It's, we can talk about, I don't know what God wants me to do here. I don't know what God wants me to do about this. I don't know what to do with this, this, this. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do with my major. I don't know what to do. I heard a voice from God. This is what he said to do. And whether or not it's right, they're stuck to it. And I think for some extent, to some extent, God's proud of that. I think God goes, hey, guys, I didn't actually tell them to do that, but they're trying to do what they think I told them to do. And I like that. That's faithfulness. But we got to make sure we get it right. So when you hear from God, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it, dude. He just comes in and tells you this is what's going to happen. A backroom anointing will set you free of any doubt. A backroom anointing will captivate your heart, and you have to go after it with everything that you have. And the fourth thing, and I'll close with this, the fourth thing that it brings is a perfect peace. I love this. Jehu kept a cool head when the enemy came and asked him if he came in peace. He came to bring peace. Hear me. Coming in peace and coming to bring peace are two totally different things. Coming in peace might be status quo. Coming in peace to the house of Ahab might have been, I'll celebrate with you, let's go to the temple together. But bringing peace is saying, this will no longer stand in the kingdom. This will no longer stand in what God has already divinely appointed. Bringing peace does not mean the same thing for everyone. Bringing peace in your life doesn't mean peace for your sin. Okay? It means there's going to be a redistribution of energy that's going to cause that sin to flee. You're no longer going to pay attention to the sinning nature. You're going to choose to accept the new backroom anointing. I love it. Jezebel was aware, was aware that she was being threatened. He yelled, who's with me? And what's really interesting is servants popped out the window. So there is an authority that the anointing brings and sin has to come under the authority of the anointing. So if there's an anointing on your life, which by the way, spoiler alert, there is an anointing on every one of your lives. This is not limited to Jehu. This is not limited by who's in this room. There is an anointing on your life that God wants to use. Sin has to come under the anointing. Sin has to flee. In fact, I think that there is naturally just something, uh, maybe supernaturally, in us that when God calls, who's with me? There's two or three parts of our lives that kind of stick out the window like, hey, I'm here, I'm with you. And that's the part that he chooses to pull towards himself when it comes to salvation. One of the, one of the best parts of this entire thing, and I guess the hook of this message is... The back room is where it happened. But the translation that I've been reading today actually calls it an inner room. So one translation calls it a back room. This one says inner room. That means it wasn't, remember, they were all out in a courtyard. So they went inside the house. It's not just they went inside to the foyer of the house or the lobby of the house or like the, the front entry area. This was they likely went into a bedroom or a closet. There was an inner room. Almost like there was an inner room in the temple. You had the outer courts where some people could come. But there was only a couple of people that were anointed to go into the inner place. The inner courts. And that's where the Spirit of God resides. But then scripture tells us that, hey, 
when Jesus died, he split the curtain. There was no more need for outer courts and inner courts. There is only the temple. And by the way, you are the temple. So you need an inner, an inner room anointing. You're carrying it with you already. This is not you have to go lock yourself behind a door. Though I totally suggest you do that. Go get along with God and read the scriptures, study, and then pray your heart out to him. Because he'll speak things to you that will carry you so much further than any of your energy could ever take you. You want an inner room anointing? You carry it in your heart with you. That way, when you go into battle, like Jehu, our battle looks a little bit differently. Our, our battle looks a lot like dealing with cultural references. Our battle looks like dealing with political affiliations. Our battle looks a lot like, are you really a Christian? Our battle can look like anger, frustration, anxiety, depression, financial issues, family issues, relationship issues, friendships. When you go into those battles, you're carrying an inner room with you. This is something that Jehu didn't have. Jehu had to walk out of the inner room. We get to carry it with us. There is an anointing that we have that we have to step into and people, we have to realize we don't have an option anymore. God has called every single one of us into this inner room with him. He made it possible by dying on the cross because remember, I told you, sin has to be killed. And it says, he who knew no sin became sin. Sin had to be driven out so that we could have an inner room anointing with us. I was talking to the staff earlier this week, and I told them, I said, this is, this is the kind of anointing that I want in my life. This is the kind of anointing I want on this ministry. This is the kind of anointing I want with and for you. And so you just need to know, we're praying behind the scenes. We're praying that God would lead us and guide us, that he would speak these things to us because I believe that he's given us a vision of where we're going to go. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through, it's, it's finally time for our end of the year expansion offering and series. And I am so excited to share for the next three weeks what God is going to be doing in the next year with us and through us. But in order for that to be sustained, in order for that to be accomplished, we have to have an inner room anointing. We have to sit in the presence of God and say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm yours. I'm in. I don't need people to celebrate me from the stage. I don't need people to recognize me. I need your touch on my life. That's what I'm after. That's what God has called us to. And he made it possible so that we could carry this inner room with us. And remember, those who have spent time in the presence of God aren't wandering. They're on a mission. And so I wonder, would you partner with us? Will you spend more time in this inner room? Will you spend time seeking out this, this anointing? When you get a word from God, it, it, it changes everything. I, I don't know how to explain it, but when you hear the voice of God, when you know what he wants you to do, everything comes under that anointing. It's just crazy how it all works. Now, there might be some people here today who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Who when I talk about an inner room anointing, a back room anointing, you're like, man, I don't, I don't even know if I have the front room anointing. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior because the anointing will cover everything else in your life. Everything has to come under submission. Now, it takes work. Please understand that we're going to pray a prayer together, and by the time we say amen, you will be a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, but that does not mean that you are excused from work. There is an entire life that you get to step into. But we're all here with you. We're all fighting together. We all want this anointing together. So I'd love it if you would do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. I 
Holy Spirit, you are ministering in this time, and I'm believing that you are pulling on people's hearts right now. That there are people who are here, specifically in this room right now, that need to submit their will to yours. They need to come under the anointing of what you have put on their lives. And Father, I pray that you would not just convict them of their sin, but God, that you would comfort them and give them life as you promised. Father, there are people who are watching online who are doing the same thing, who are realizing right now that, man, my life is not in alignment with with what I know could be an incredible life. But Father, I pray that you would minister to their hearts right now. Draw it up in them to say this prayer with us. Would you do this with me? Say, dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin, the things that you call wrong. I believe that you came and you died to give me a new life apart from this sin. Come into my life. Make me like you. I believe that you are the Son of God and you came to save me. Guys, Scripture says that if you will believe it in your heart and you will confess with your mouth that you are saved. And for those of you who said that prayer for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you do me a favor? Raise your hand right now if you said that prayer today with us. And then, hey, if you said it online, put the little uh, raised hand emoji. We want to connect with you. We want to make sure that you guys have Bibles. If you do not have a Bible also, would you go to uh, talk with Kellen after the service? We want to make sure that you have a Bible to read during the week. I'd love it. Would you stand with me? for just a second. I want to pray with you. Um, But before I do, I I, I just want to worship a little bit more with you. Is that cool? Can we sing this, wrap me in your arms? I think it's a good place to be because we're saying, take me to that place, to that secret place. Well, that's that's here this morning. That's with us, but it's, it's here. And we get to do this together. Take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. So take me to that place. Take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your You can make me 
Father, I pray your anointing would not just be on us, but be over us as well. That it would go before us, that it would clean up behind us, that you'd walk beside us. And then this week that we would have inner room meetings with you, that we would have inner room conversations where you tell us exactly what needs to happen. We trust you and we love you with all of these things. And it's in your name we all said together. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you for being with us for our Sunday morning worship experience. I want to say thank you to those of you who give, to those of you who watch online and share this. It's a huge part of what we're doing, and I'm grateful for you. Before we go, i got to tell you about two quick things. Can you handle two more? Number one, next Sunday night at Pastor Phil and Barbara's house, we have, pardon me, the Friendsgiving celebration. Okay? Everybody's welcome. Everyone's welcome. Uh, we've got a menu that we are asking people to participate in bringing some things. So if you would, chat with Pastor Barbara about that after the service, um, and we'll, we'll make sure that you get that. The other thing, so that's next Sunday night, the 21st. The other thing is December 10th, we're going to do something similar where we get together for Christmas. All right? We want to celebrate with you. We like doing life with you. And this should not be the only time that we're together. I like seeing you. Uh, some of you will wear sweats to our house on Tuesday nights. I like getting to know you in the sweats. All right? So let's, let's hang out and have a party on the 10th together for Christmas. Can you do that? You can party, right? All right. Cool. Hey, thank you so much again for being with us today. You guys are dismissed. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Leave a comment and rate this podcast but make sure to give us five stars. In the description, you can find the website, the socials, and all that good stuff. Special thanks to those who give generously. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. If you'd like to partner with us, you can click the link in the description below. Join us live on Sundays, either in person or on YouTube or Facebook, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening.